Welcome to In The Know On The Go, the podcast where we help you get across the things that matter in a way that just makes sense. Let's jump straight into today's episode. Ender Foley is the Chief Executive Officer for LAWD. He joined the team in August this year and brings a depth of experience across the property and finance sectors to LAWD. Many of our listeners, Ender, will know that you guys are actually our first real partner. You joined us and supported us back in April of 2021. And I think yeah, we're excited that things have rolled on again since then for a further 12 months. And I think we're both kind of new kids on the block a little bit. You guys have definitely established yourselves a little bit more than I have, but it's fantastic to have you on for the podcast to have a chat. Oh, good to be here. Good to be here. Look forward to it, Ollie. Now, I'm interested because your background, you've worked in a variety of sectors, Pricewaterhouse, around the world from Middle East to home in Australia. What is it about Australian agriculture that brought you back into the sector? Well, as you say, it, it's a it's a pretty broad background um, that I have. Yeah, PwC, so my background is obviously in finance um, and I qualified with PwC, worked in um, Eastern Europe with them um, post-qualification. Um, I always had a bit of a wandering, um, I suppose, intent um, about me and ended up you know, working or moving moving to Australia and marrying an Australian um, over time. My, my main areas of focus from a career perspective have been services industries, always been general. It's, it's been people, they've generally been people businesses. So I worked in um, Ireland's largest telco, which was Aircom back then, and um, for several years actually branched out of finance while I was there. You know, for most of the time I was there, I actually wasn't even in finance, which gave me a flavour for working more broadly, um, let's say in operations roles, more general management roles. In in Australia, I had a f- few years with with Virgin before moving to CBRE. I had a long career with with CBRE, as as um, a lot of people will know, and in a variety of roles, leadership roles in finance and in operations. When I was at CBRE, we I obviously came across the uh, the the ag business which was grown which was something that was grown within cbre so it was my first real exposure from a real estate certainly from a real estate perspective um and i got to know um got to know the guys pretty well um during that time never thought really twice about it because i ended up spending a couple of years in the uk and and actually moved into a completely different part of the business at cbre um i was in the gws business which was facilities management and project management so it was as far away from you know, sales, leasing, um, that kind of area of real estate as you can get. It was more that, that when I when I came back from the UK um, and I was still in that global role at CBRE, um, it was decision time. It was it was kind of one of those things, well, it's a global role. How sustainable is it for me, for my family? Um, it was a very personal decision in the end to decide to move. Um, I wanted, always wanted to get into a small business, preferably startup in a CEO role, because I knew that was something that I could do. And the opportunity came up with with LAWD. It was for me, it was a no brainer. One, I I knew quite a few of the people and which made it a very easy thing to, to jump into. Two, I knew and understood the business Real estate is real estate. Ag is, is a specialist area of real estate, but in terms of how the businesses operate from a sales perspective, from a valuations perspective, yes, there's nuances, but I'd had enough experience in my you know early days um, to know what to look out for, 
what needed to be done when it came to, I guess, establishing platforms. Whilst I wouldn't say that I don't, I don't have an ag background. Um, uh, you know, my my family, myself, I grew up in Dublin, in in the city, uh, in Ireland, so that there's no direct connectivity to ag. But it seems, particularly in Brisbane, every person you meet, and every everyone you know, has got a connection to ag. There's the, you know, families, extended families have you know have rural properties or have grown up on the have grown up on the land, and there's just this. There's, there's this authenticity um, of individual that I love um, when it comes to um, dealing with the people that have started the way that this business was started um, through ag, um, plus um, obviously the development arm with that connection to ag. It's an interesting take like f- from you working in global businesses and then kind of looking for that niche, what's that new growing opportunity. I noticed with LAWD that like the business grew exponentially off the back of its launch in 2020, but really, I guess the the stability may have come through yourself and more recently through the appointment um, of the first official chairman kind of beyond John. So what was that like in terms of how you approached getting into the business and building that team in terms of this is how it's been and then let's grab that energy and enthusiasm to then move forward? It's a t- it is actually a tough one because the the culture of a small business is something that is really hard to keep as you grow because there are certain there's just things that you've got to do to mitigate risk to improve your compliance to improve your governance as a business grows. the The great thing is that the shareholders are absolutely one hundred percent behind doing this. And so there's 100% backing behind some of the things that I've said straight off the bat that we've got to do. They obviously put a few things on pause while they waited for me to come on board. You don't come into a role like this with all guns blazing and and saying, I've seen it enough in the past, you know, leaders that come in to a new business saying how terrible things are or, you know, how badly things have been done come undone very very quickly you, you get in you you watch you, you learn um and that was definitely something i had to do you had to learn a bit i hadn't been in a small business for well forever you know my background is large corporate organizations and so sitting sitting back and actually taking and digesting a lot of what was happening and getting you know getting familiar with how things were done initially and not jumping to too many conclusions too fast was key i knew there was going to be certain things we just that hadn't been done that we were going to have have to do um pretty quickly and again as i said there was a hundred percent support uh from the shareholders and from the directors to get that done and it was all around efficient platform building there's no point in gold plating uh, some of the things that we might need because it's still a small business and there's a limited access to capital we've got to be clever about how we use it we want to focus on developing our people and growing our people and retaining our people. That's, it's a, you know, it's a services business. That's what it's all about. So you don't want to over-engineer um, a platform. So making sure that we find, strike that balance between, okay, what's an efficient platform fit for purpose for the stage that we're at from a growth perspective? What do we absolutely have to do from a recruitment and headcount and platform perspective versus, okay, what can we still live with from an outsourcing perspective? You know, what, what areas can we continue to leverage externally without pushing too hard into, and, and pushing too much into into our I suppose our, our fixed cost base as we grow 
there were some some no-brainers for me to start with. Um, we've you know carried out some entity a bit of entity restructuring and built some a little bit of tech in behind uh, how some of the basic platforms work, just to make sure that people get paid properly. You know, people get paid properly, people get paid on time, people are aware of all of that. And yeah, one of the first recruits I had was an accounting person, so we got a finance manager in. That's been absolutely you know, absolutely essential to free me up to be able to look at and do other things. And on that, I think that that covers off kind of the, the focus areas, but for you stepping into the role, the business grew incredibly quickly. So what has it the last couple of years been like for the business basically up until now? Well, the, the drinking from a fire hose, you know, phrase is, is <laughs> pretty apt uh, for how the, how the guys have, uh, and girls have been, you know, managing and growing the business. And I don't think they had no idea how successful or how quickly successful this was going to be. They had a five-year plan and they hit the five-year target within a year and a half, kind of in terms of the, the, the projections that they were looking at. So, again, they're very, very aware you know, that's the great thing about the, the the group. They're very, very aware of, oh, we can't keep growing like this without actually taking some steps um, from a, you know, from a stability point of view, from a governance point of view, um, to make sure that things don't go off the rails. Um, I think they were surprised, obviously, um, happily surprised at the level of success that they had in the, in the first 18 months. And, there is going to be a period, you know, there's this, the, the theories about growth and jumping curves of growth that there's always an expert that not always, but good companies will have an exponential growth curve, but then it hits, it hits a point. It's an S shape. So you'll hit the top of it. It'll steady off and you've just got to be careful not to go down again after you've kind of hit the top. And I, I think where we are with the strategy that the company had is we're starting to approach the top of that curve you know that the rate of growth is is obviously uh, having to, to to slow down. You just can't sustain the rate of percentage growth. But where we are now is okay. We're not we're not pausing. We're we're just taking a, a little bit of stock of where we are and what we've got to invest in to make sure that the platform's set up for that next growth curve jump, and um, so that we can go exponential again. But as I said, that the, the there's a lot of support for it. There was a lot of surprise behind how quickly we've got to where we are, but yeah, there's the the, the next the next steps are are the absolutely critical ones. There's a, a few questions I, I, I really want to ask. I'm going to hold out on the leadership piece because I think that it's really interesting about that rate of growth. And one thing I want to ask you about is so real estate in agriculture, fairly traditional area, but what are the learnings here for a new business entering? Um, a traditional area of agriculture. I guess, like 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 I said earlier, I I don't have that expertise in ag background, but from an observation point of view, um, I think the way that the the ag team can approach the biz, approach the sector from a we have we we have and we recognise that having an ag valuations business on one side with massive expertise and knowledge that just builds and builds and builds um, like literally week after week because of the way that assets turn around. And then we have a sales team on say on, on the other side, we obviously have to operate Chinese. Well, we operate Chinese walls. 
full disclosure, when there's information sharing, etc. Clients are very open to it. Um, it's something, you know, in, in the normal real estate commercial world, you've got to be very, 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 very strong on that. Um, what we find in the ag world is once you disclose um, and you talk about, hey, we've got this information that we may have access to, um, are you happy uh, for this to be accessed? Are you happy for whether it be a vendor or a, or a, or a purchaser? Are you happy for that, for that information to be shared? Because of the level of knowledge in our valuations team, the level of expertise in the valuations team, it's, it's subject matter expertise. Um, and, and to have that and be able to leverage that is, is critical. Um, I think on the, uh, on, the, on the wider sort of looking at the, the real estate, the pure real estate and sales area, the transactions areas, it's, it's the corporatization of AVAG um, that is happening so fast. Uh, in in Australia, we are, I would say, one of the most advanced countries globally when it comes to corporatization of ag. I've had comments made to me by multiple sources, considering the the kind of the kind of connections that it still have in that in in the industry globally, that we're we're ahead of the US and we're ahead of everywhere in Europe when it comes to our approach to it, and it's. It's why there's such a huge level of interest in overseas pension funds and overseas uh, private equity firms in this market. And I think where we've had the ability to get a little bit ahead of the game is the contacts that some of our key leaders have had and our key, key um, uh, brokers have had is the contacts and knowledge and exposure and ability to connect really, really quickly with that capital because they know what it is, they know who's interested in it, um, and they know, you know which phone number to, to, to pick up when an, opportunity, when an opportunity arises in this space. There's obviously still an awful lot that's sub, let's call it institutional level, um, that's sub-insta level, um, the traditional market maybe that we call it that. We still have plenty of room to, to work within, uh, and we know that. Uh, but as it relates to you know some of the the called the bigger end of town, uh, the the access to global capital is what has been critical. And it's interesting because I know Cole was in our last quarter update was talking about just how the family farmer and it's nearly the the corporatization of the family farms as well. Like they're they're significant entities now within the sector, uh, and it's it is really exciting. It is. Um, and it, you know, when, when, when you get into that, obviously when you get into that corporatization space, assets turn, turn over more. Like we've got obvious, obviously good exposure to land and uh, rural properties that have been owned for sometimes over a century, you know, that have passed through generations. As a real estate asset class now going forward, it actually means once they change hands once and it enters into the potentially the corporate world and becomes a, you know, a, a business, it means more and more business going forward because just like, just like what happened in the commercial world, they'll transact again. They'll be transacting as business, which is obviously great for a company like LAWD, but it's changing the landscape um, fast. Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I'm even seeing that kind of on the ground level with mates who are family farms, and and they've expanded over say the last five to six years, and actually have been looking at well, the asset. Let's realize the value that 
that asset's gone up to then actually reinvest. And it, it, it's exciting seeing that happening across even, say, the younger generation. And yeah, absolutely. And keeping, you know, maybe the, the younger generation that where the younger generation maybe has not been as sticky to, to, to the hack space, maybe over the last number of years with this modernization and corporatization of ag, we're hoping that that might bring people back. For sure. A, a question I also want to know. So um, we're talking about the rural property space, but LAWD has a bigger business at play. So can you just, I guess, help educate me and our audience on what is the broader business? What does it look like? Ag, ag and development. So development, the original D in, in LAWD, the development space is in tandem with ag, the backbone of the business. It's how it started. It's it, it's where it began. And, and Pete Sagar in, in Melbourne is very, very, very strong in that in global land space um, around the Melbourne Fridges where that development land sits. I, I think there was a st- statistic Pete shared at some point with 50% of uh, Australia's development land is in Victoria, like 50% of the country and wow. in terms of development product um sits around victoria and then followed by southeast queensland and then um new south wales i i I'd probably have to double check on that as a as a stat but that's broadly gives an indication as to just how how strong that market is or how big that market is in victoria which is why we have you know invested in and grown that business around pete in in victoria so you know, it, it is it is what it says on the tin. I mean, development is the development land. It's land sales, which is why there's been such you know such close connectivity to ag, um, because it's greenfield greenfield sites that starts nudging towards the the ag space in in Victoria, where we're I suppose um, developing <laughs> developing our own work is <laughs> where, where we're growing from there, where we're looking and seeking to grow from there is to take that next step, not that natural next step from development land into the adjacencies to development. So when you, if you, if you can imagine, we'll, we'll sell development sites and we've been on some of the biggest ones this year um, around, the Melbourne, around the Melbourne fringes. The next step is to actually develop them. Um, and that's either a combination of uh, res, residential industrial is obviously very very strong um and sometimes retail um clearly there's 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 multiple combinations of sector types that would be the next play into those development sites as you know the plans are there to build the infrastructure where where we see a natural uh flow on for us is to be involved in that next transaction which you know, is why we brought in, we brought in Henry Burberry um, earlier this year, um, residential projects expert. Um, he will be working very, very closely with Pete on the cell residential sublots in those development, let, let's say the development transactions that we have been really, really close to that we can say, hey, we know this um, really, really well. So we can help you with the design of the next stage. Um, so that's a, it, it's not pure development, but it's a natural adjacency to it. Equally, uh, we're going to be building up our expertise in industrial, where the industrial is the next space um, that we would get into as the flow on from that development um, site sale, for example. Um, Melbourne is 
and Victoria is where we're starting. Uh, we have a development business in Sydney as well, um, under Andrew Graham. Uh, that's different. There's a lot of brownfield site. Um, less there isn't as much greenfield territory as, as you might imagine around the Sydney, and it's not as naturally, I suppose, doesn't lend itself as naturally to the kind of development that we see in Victoria and around Melbourne, just purely based on geographics. Uh, but we do see there being an oppor strong opportunity to connect in with Pete's, um, I suppose, Pete's connections um, and the businesses that Pete works very, very closely with in Melbourne. They also have a lot of activity up in, uh, in New South Wales. So leveraging those as best we can, as I say, from an adjacency sector point of view, we, we see strong opportunities there. Equally, we, you know, we're looking to do something similar in, in Brisbane and in Queensland um, as we head into 2023. Well, there's pl plenty happening then for you. <laughs> yeah, it is It is moving a little bit more broad into a, I wouldn't call it broad real estate because it's still specialised. There are still specialisations and we've changed our website recently and the byline of our, our website to be genuine leaders in um, specialist real estate. We want to stay, you know, more boutique. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to be known as professionals Genuine professionals, and when I say genuine in both senses of the word, genuine and authentic, you know, true professionals in the sectors that we operate in and that we are experts in those fields. That begs me to ask the question, and I was really interested on your profile, your leadership style. It says that you're a fan or I guess, yeah, you follow or interested in the servant leadership approach which the first time i came across this was with howard schultz who was the ceo of starbucks and he mentioned the pope as being a modern servant leader and i think howard incorporated that into starbucks and their whole business model as well but can you touch on what is servant leadership to you and how do you bring it to life every day it's it's one of those areas that you know there's, there's plenty of books out there and, and styles and, and, and management management theories you can you can tap into in my probably in the earlier earlier stages of my of my career, when it comes to leadership and leadership style, coming from a finance and accounting background, given the nature of the people that work for you, um, and I say the word for um, very very specifically there, it's about being directed. You know, it's very much about okay, you, you have to ask or tell. And um, these are the things that because it because of the nature of that area, it, it's about delivery, it's about timelines, it's about accuracy, etc. And you would basically how you would set object objectives and manage people on the basis of deliverables and telling them we need you have to do this. You know, this is this is my job to tell you what to do. I'll delegate these things to you and then and then they'll come back to me and I'll review them. It's kind of how things did operate and still operate in the finance world. But I, I, I worked under a, a CEO for a while who was very, very strong on the servant leadership style. And I sat and observed and watched and he coached and he helped me um, just understand how you can get people to respond to you, you know, better um, following that kind of style. And it's, it's just about, it's what can I do for you, leadership? It's not a, you're doing... You know, I want you to do X, Y, Z for me. It is, a, okay, what can I do to make things better for you? There's obviously always going to be an element of delegation of work. That's just natural. That happens in every form of leadership, every form of management, every form of leadership. But being hyper-conscious of when you're working with your team, 
to always have that in the back of your mind, even though you might, you know, with one hand be saying, you know, I need you to do X, Y, Z has to finish with, but what can I, what can I actually do to help you achieve this? Um, are there things that are in your way that I can get out of your way um, to help you achieve them? Um, so it's, it's about the development, making sure that you're developing those people and that they're aware that they can ask you um, to, you know, to do things and get things out and move obstacles out of the way and, you know, can come to you with requests for development on their own from an up from their own career um, development perspective. So that that's it in a very, very, like in, in a real nutshell, as I said, there's books upon books upon books, uh, servant, servant leadership, followership, followership is one of those things as well that I got, that I, that I did read up on again under the, under the same CEO in that every leader is a follower and a leader, like everyone, well, even, even a CEO, because, you know, I, you know, my, my followership is to our board um, and to our chair. You might think, oh, the book stops with you, so you don't follow anybody. Well, actually you do. Everybody, everybody has a follower um, ship, you know, role to play and, and a leadership role to play. Um, and how you instill that uh, followership mentality um, in people, again, comes down to the style that you operate. If you if, if you servant leadership style, you will engender um, more followership. You'll create force multipliers in your business, which are the people who will go out of their way to represent you as their leader amongst their peer group. Apparently, it's an army phrase. It comes originally, force multiplier, it comes originally from the military, um, but it's been taken and operates um, quite well and quite and quite neatly in in the business world just as well it's a fascinating space and i'm always interested in learning that i love that kind of the questions of what can i do for you what obstacles can i move how do i help you and us so perfect well ender thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat i know this is the the first time we've caught up but uh have a great christmas enjoy your travels and i'll chat to you soon all right awesome thanks so much ollie good to talk Thank you for listening to this final episode of in the know on the go for the year and we'd also like to thank lawd for their ongoing support see you next year for more bite-sized conversations on the things that matter told to you simply